This is the Tech Arts Podcast, where we talk about tech, leadership, and all things that concern church audio, video, and lighting. Welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast and the Earthworks Audio Studios. My name is DL. So glad to have you joining us today. Coming up on today's episode is an amazing chat with Ben Stapley. We cover a ton of ground when it comes to how to process ideas from your team, perfection, excellence, and generally how to pastor production and tech directors. If you're a pastor, worship leader, or a leader of techs, or even just a volunteer yourself who wants to learn how to lead up and pastor others who think like you, you don't want to miss this episode. Oh, but that's not all. For our church tech tip, we have on Todd Elliott. He is the founder of Philo, which stands for First In, Last Out. This is an amazing conference that you must attend. Todd is talking all things Philo and teases us with the amazing plans they have this year. On another note, we gave away a ton of stuff in the last episode. The response to the Earthworks SR117 wired mic giveaway was impressive. So impressive, we're going to do it again. That's right, we're giving away another Earthworks SR117 wired mic. For those paying attention, we, uh, we actually uh, never give away one. We actually give away several of these microphones. So everyone will have more of an opportunity to win. Before I tell you how to win, let me congratulate the following people who won in the last episode. Kevin from Sherwood Bible Church, Jay from Destiny World Outreach Center, Heath from Thrive Church, and Brent from Legacy Christian Church. Congrats to you on winning the Earthworks Audio SR117 mic giveaway. Digital Great Commission Ministries is so happy you have another tool to help you better reach people with the gospel. Now, how do you win this week? We are making it a little bit harder. Here's what you need to do. You need to listen to the podcast and tell me the word Ben Stapley uses when he talks about an idol that production teams develop. He talks about us worshiping at the feet of this idol. His exact words are, we worship at the feet of production, insert word here. Email me that word at information at digitalgreatcommission.org and I'll send you a free Earthworks SR117 mic. I'll give you a little bit of a hint. It's about 13 minutes into my interview with Ben Stapley. Again, he makes this statement, we worship at the feet of production. Finish that statement by emailing me the last word at information at digitalgreatcommission.org and I'll send you the free mic. Okay, enough of all that. Let's get this podcast going. Joining us to talk about today's tech tip is the founder of Philo, Todd Elliott. Hey, Todd. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you, David. Good to see you too, man. So for everyone out there who doesn't know what Philo is, give us the details. Yeah, so Philo, uh, which stands for first in, last out, is something that a lot of us who are in the world of church production totally get. We're the first ones in, we're the last ones out. And so the Philo conference is for all of us uh, who are doing that. So 
I think it's uh, real easy to feel alone and misunderstood at your church a lot of times. And so this is a chance to be together with others who understand what we go through. Um, something I've noticed doesn't matter the size of the church, the, the location of the church, uh, how big budgets are. We all kind of struggle with the same challenges uh, every week. Um, and so it's nice to be in a room full of people that get that. And so the final conference is all about creating uh, and bringing together the community. It's also about skill development. So a chance to learn something new from people who are doing the work in the local church. So uh, all of our breakout classes are taught by people who are doing production work uh, in their local church. They're not uh, working for a company that's selling stuff. They're actually using the stuff every day. Um, and then uh, hopefully a chance to be inspired because what we do is hard and unseen and to be in a room full of people that see what we do and get it uh, to be then be inspired that what we do actually matters. Um, and so uh, we do that in the main sessions through um, uh, great teaching and uh, also a chance to worship. You know, you get to sit in a regular seat. You don't have to sit behind pro presenter or the lighting console. You just get to be there as an attendee. And so, uh, yeah, just a chance to uh, to receive instead of, um, you know, work an event like we always do. So, Todd, you've been doing Philo for several years and. It's an amazing event. Uh, you know, I, I speak to people who come back from Philo and they're like, my, you know, my life was touched. I got, it was education, all the things that you just spoke about. But for somebody who says, hey, I've been there, done that. And those folks that have already attended Philo, uh, tell them what's going to be different this year and why they should come back. Yeah, I think one of the challenges with doing an event every year is, yeah, how do you make it uh, better than last year or bigger? And I think that's... Uh, been something I've been trying to avoid those thoughts of how to make it bigger and better because I don't know that that's always the right thing to do. And so for me, the goal is it might be similar to last year in some ways in that we do things with excellence. Uh, you kind of know what you can expect when you're coming, but all of the content is new. Everything is absolutely new. So we might have some repeat um, presenters in the breakouts, but they're teaching on something totally different. So this year, we're adding two breakout tracks. So we have kind of a beginner track. So we have a lot of people that are just starting out in the world of production. We have a huge international audience as well that they're looking for the basics. And so we're teaching a whole breakout uh, track is on the basics. And then we also have an advanced track, which is more like future looking. Uh, what's, you know, how do we use AI and uh, some of the upcoming uh, technologies and how we can use those in the local church. So those are some ways that we've listened to uh, past attendees on what they would love to see. And so we've added some of those things back in. But I think um, most of all, um, the chance for human interaction with people who get you, I mean, I think that's irreplaceable and not something that repeats year after year. Um, so the chance to be uh, be around people uh, like like we are uh, is such a valuable experience, and that yeah, that changes from year to year. Well, Todd, I, I beg to differ with you on one thing. Um, you are making it bigger and better this year because. I'm coming in to teach and That's I'm right. from, yeah. I'm from Texas. That's right. Can't get bigger than that. You can't get any bigger or better than that. <laughs> so true. Yeah. I stand corrected. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to be there. So everybody listening, you got to sign up just to come see me. I'm going to be go. the star of the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally joking. Totally joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm teaching a little breakout class, but, uh, but yeah, all the things that, that Todd just said, um, you know, the interaction, uh, the, the human connection, which a lot of times with texts can, can be missed in the local church. The human connection is definitely there uh, with Philo. So tell us how you secure tickets for this event, Todd. Yep. So real easy. You go to philo.org. And uh, there's an event uh, page you can go to, and you can just sign up for either um, an in-person ticket uh, or a group, a set of group tickets, uh, four or more, and then even an online ticket. So uh, if you're not able to come in person, uh, we have the ability to stream everything, not just the main sessions, but every breakout uh, over the course of the two days, everything is available on the online ticket as well. So make sure you mark your calendars for Philo. It's all happening May 7th and 8th at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. Go to philo.org to find out more information or to secure your tickets. So if you're looking for skill development, community, and inspiration, the Philo Conference is the place for you. Go to philo.org and secure your tickets today. Todd, thanks for coming on the Tech Arts Podcast and telling us about Philo. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Coming up in just a few minutes is a power-packed segment with Ben Stapley. Leading technicians isn't just about technical prowess. It's about cultivating leadership. As a leader, empowering your tech team with vision, support, and trust fosters innovation and excellence. Right after this break, Ben Stapley will help us find out how to elevate your team by investing in their growth and creating an environment where their skills shine. The point of this episode is this, it's to help us figure out how to pastor production and tech directors. Find out how to do this right after this message from our sponsors. Hang on. Thank you for listening to the Tech Arts Podcast. Be sure to tell all your friends about us. Give them the website techartspodcast.com to find out more. More great content is coming up right after this. Our main sponsor is Digital Great Commission Ministries. Whether you need help building a team, finding the right gear, or just better understanding the church tech world, DGCM is here for you. Because they are a 501c3 donor-sponsored organization, they come to your church for free and do an assessment of your tech, visitor engagement, and online streaming. Plus, we give away free gear. Be sure to go to audiovideolighting.com and register your email today. This will sign you up for all of the free giveaways and give you first access to everything we offer for free. If you want free resources, training, or consulting, contact Digital Great Commission Ministries today by going to audiovideolighting.com. That's audiovideolighting.com. Welcome back to the Tech Arts Podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest. He is an executive pastor and a church consultant. He approaches things differently than a tech yet he has tech experience. Please welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast, Ben Stapley. Hey, Ben. David, thank you for having me back on. I wondered if my first time with you was good enough 
and you invited me back on. So thank you for removing that seed of doubt and giving me a chance to talk to your audience. I'm very excited to be here and to talk with your crowd. Yeah, it's so awesome to have you back. The first one was one of our actually most popular uh, podcasts that we've that we've done. But I got to ask you, how are things going in New Jersey? Because here in Dallas, it's like 20 degrees, uh, you know, at one moment, and then it's 85 degrees in the next moment. Is it stable in New Jersey or is it all over the place there? It is. We just had some flurries yesterday. And uh, you know my story, me and my family were in Miami for years. And so for our daughters to see flurries again, it was a big moment in the Stapley household. It only lasted five minutes, but it was glorious. And so we're hoping for more of that this winter season. Well, here it's just crazy. It's just like, you know, 80 degrees one day and 22 degrees the next day. Uh, I grew up in Orlando, so I kind of know what you're talking about. I'm like, what is this cold weather that we're having? It's kind of odd. So Ben, you've been on before, but our audience has like doubled since your last appearance. I mean, my wife and my mom now listen to the podcast. <laughs> so, but seriously, let our audience know who you are and uh, a little bit of what you do. Yeah, I'll give a quick overview just so they understand my background and kind of my perspective on what we're talking about. But I grew up, uh, I started my career in television. I was a producer and reporter for a national uh, station in Toronto, Ontario. You might pick up some of the accent. Uh, then I got married to a Jersey gal. She pulled me down to the States. And, and that's when I made the crossover from the quote unquote secular to the sacred field and started working for churches. Pretty much started um, for, uh, for about a decade working as a creative arts pastor in different churches, different multi-site churches, mega churches. And then maybe the last five years I pivoted towards being an executive pastor and uh, kind of not just overseeing the experiences, but overseeing the whole um, direction of where we're going to go. So basically speaking, the, the lead pastor sets the vision and then the ex executive pastor helps execute it. So I'm now in that seat. I love it, but I still have a heart for a, uh, the producers and the technicians in our audience today because I cut my teeth in ministry in that field. I have that background in television as well. So I'm excited to talk to them and their unique needs. Yeah, well, today we're going to be talking about pastoring those folks, the, those production and tech directors. And I know we have a lot of pastors that listen to this podcast. So that's why we picked this subject. But we also have a lot of tech directors and techs. Uh, so you, you may be a tech director thinking, well, how does this apply to me? Well, oh boy, does it. Because when you're leading a tech team or you are a tech, all of us have people who are looking up to us, hang around or, you know, receive direction from us, whether it be a volunteer we work with or the new kid running camera that is just bugging you with a lot of questions. We all have an obligation to be pastoral in our approach to our teams and the people we work with. So Ben, I know this subject is something that is important to you and in your current role as an executive pastor, I'm sure it comes into play a lot. But for those out there who say, hey, I'm only a tech, I'm not a pastor. Explain how this podcast will be helpful to them as well. Great question. I'm My goal here is to help two people have a conversation together. So basically a lead pastor, better understanding how a technician, a production person is wired, and so they can communicate, quote unquote, down to them in the organization. But also, I'm hoping to equip those people who are listening on the other side of the coin, and how do they lead up? And that's if there's, if there's one side of the conversation I want to focus more on that, is that, because I've seen 
Uh, friends of mine, I've seen people in ministry get burnt out in this in the because they didn't weren't able to lead up, and they ultimately left their they left their career uh, in in church work. They leave the church because they have ministry hurt, and worse yet, they leave Christ. They leave their Savior. And so my goal is if you can if we can help equip some of the people on the production technician uh, technical side of things. Give them language, give them school skills to lead up and have the conversations they need to with their lead pastors. It's going to create a much healthier environment and something that everyone's able to succeed in for a much longer period of time. You know, it all it all kind of starts with people. You know, I heard somebody say the other day, they said, hey, if I didn't have to do deal with people, things would be a lot easier. <laughs> yes. But because it starts with people and there's just the craziness that comes from that, people bring crazy ideas. They sometimes bring bad ideas. And as humans, we just have bias towards people and sometimes judge the person first. So what's your approach to evaluating thoughts or suggestions that uh, that people bring to the table? I'll, I'll address that from the production side first. So first of all, realize when you bring your wealth of information to the table that you are you're trying to give your best information and you're trying to give your your best suggestion in terms of the course of action but at the end of the day oftentimes the decision in terms of where the church goes in your field is left to somebody else to decide so have some humility there um, realize that you may disagree with the ultimate end oftentimes from a production standpoint is unless we spend this much money right now we're going to end up spending more down the road and sometimes things get you know, cut back, and then we experience those problems down the road. Realize that that's your decision, that's your responsibility to do the research, but it's someone else's responsibility to make the final decision. And so be comfortable in that tension. And then also, um, when when you're presenting ideas, um, just realize sometimes it can, you can take it personal. So, you know, I'm giving you... Uh, an A, B, and C package on uh, a new iMag, and I'm suggesting A. But if you take B, I take it as an offense, and I take it as an affront to me and my research and, and my decision-making skills and my assessment of the situation. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the minutia of what we're trying to do that it becomes very personal. And so what I say is uh, try to detach yourself, your personality from those decision-makings and present the options and let the decision fall where it may. If not, you're going to get overly wounded when you don't need to. So try to try to realize when when a decision's being made, it's evaluating your 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 suggestions, but not you as a person. So take yourself out of the equation if possible. Yeah, I want to ask you a question. See if you agree with this. A lot of times when I was leading texts, um, I didn't have all the information. And some of what was going on was data collection, where literally leadership just wanted to know, hey, how much does this cost? About where are we going to be at? So they would go out and get ideas. Sometimes my techs would get personally offended when we didn't take their idea or do their idea, just like what you suggested. And I would have to say, hey, this is really a data collection mode. We're, we're kind mm-hmm. of trying to figure out what idea works, when it's going to work, and what it's going to cost. You know, if, if it's a million dollars, we may need to come up with some different ideas. If it's five to $10,000, maybe we can make it work. And so I would say to them, hey, think kind of from a data collection mode and think from the standpoint that you don't know what all is going on all the way up the chain. Uh, that's kind of how I would kind of work through some of those um, you know, ideas that would get thrown on the table that sometimes would blow up the whole world. But what, what's, your, what's your opinion on that? 
The, the, yeah, you're bringing up a different question, which is helpful, where what I hear you saying is oftentimes, even if you're, sometimes we're asked to research things and our assumption is, well, then we're going to take action upon this. And, and there is, but sometimes the action is inaction. We're not going to do it. And so just realize as you go into the research mode, I'm going to research this or that or the other thing, realize that the outcome might be, okay, thank you for that research. We understand the cost. We've done a cost-benefit analysis. We're saying not to at this time. I, th I think some production people get their hopes up, right? I heard we're getting new cinema cameras. I, I was told to research this. Th you know, Therefore, we're going to get new cameras finally. And they're not, they're not aware that the answer is it's yes, it's no, or it's maybe, or it's delayed. And so letting people, I think it's really helpful to coach the production people, realize it might be all those strengths. Now, flipping the coin and talking to the leadership here, if you've given 10 projects for your production people to research <laughs> in the past couple of years, and you haven't taken action on any of those, guess what? Their level of research is going to decline. And they're ultimately going to want to be a part of an organization that moves forward and not just spins their wheels and has uh, paralysis through analysis. And so so there, there is a sweet spot in terms of not acting upon every research project, but also not acting upon none of them. And what is that sweet spot? I don't know. You know, probably not half, maybe a third of them is probably a good sweet spot in terms of what you're researching and then what you actually do. If any less, and you're probably, you're probably just throwing darts against the wall, and any more, you're probably, you might be burning through some money that you shouldn't. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, it kind of brings me to my next question, which is tech directors can sometimes get slowed down because a ton of ideas get thrown on the table and, and no one really knows what's going on. I, I talked a little bit about that, you know, from a leadership perspective when it's getting to them. Um, but how, how do we avoid that? How do we avoid them getting slowed down by all these ideas? It's very helpful to give anybody in any artistic discipline uh, and, and sometimes people in production tech, in your podcast, tech arts, it's, it is an artistic discipline. Um, that things can get very squishy and subjective if you don't use clear language. And so I advocate for really clear language. Four things, uh, give, um, give praise. We're gonna talk about that later on. Um, give notes for down the road. And then the two things that I really hit is give instructions and give suggestions. Instructions, you need to do this. Uh, and nine times out of 10, there's kind of no ifs, ands, or buts. Let's fix it. So, um, hey, um, next time when you shoot the video, you need to take the lens cap off of the lens <laughs> so we capture something. It, this is an instruction. It's really, it's obvious. Suggestion is a subjective thing. It's hard to tell. You know, should we shoot this in 24 frames or 30 frames a second? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, it's a suggestion. I think we should do 24 for more film-like style. But you know what? I'm going to leave that decision in your your ball court. Um, I'm going to give you my opinion, but you make the decision what you think is best. Whenever I lead any creative, I'm really clear between an instruction and a suggestion. If you're not, it gets really soupy really quick. Really a fast example on this. I was uh, consulting with a church with their first exp um, first impressions experience. And one month, the first month I was there, we were walking through the lobby with a lead pastor and their executive assistant, and the lead pastor was like, "Oh man, I hate that! I hate that couch. I wish we, you know, we updated it. It looks so bad." And then the next month, we had some action steps, and we came back to it, and we were going to do an audit and did things get improved upon. And we walked by the couch, and there was a new couch there. And the lead pastor said, "Who signed off on that new couch?" And the executive assistant said, "You didn't. He said you didn't like it last time we walked through." And he said, "I, I was just talking out loud. I didn't mean actually replace it. We don't have the budget for that." <laughs> 
And there is a humorous example of when it's not clear with what the leader wants. Does the leader, is the leader instructing me to do this or suggesting that I could do this? Once you have that clarity, it's a world of difference in terms of your work relationship, your efficiency. Um, it, it, gets, it gets a lot healthier, a lot faster when you make that distinction. Yeah, clear direction. That really helps. Even when you're allowing, like you said, when you're allowing questions inside the direction, give clear direction of what they can or can't do and how they can do it. And uh, that really helps, especially with creatives. Techs are creative as, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and so that that's, that's, that's great insight, man. But, you know, one thing that techs do is, uh, I know this is the case with me, we like to be perfect every time. I mean, it's just built into our DNA. And well, let's face it, man. I mean, lead pastors expect tech, tech directors to be perfect every time as well. So, I mean, is this even attainable? Is this a thing we can even we can even grab? No, the quick answer is no. So, and I'm, I'm, br- I'm glad you're bringing this up because sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes it's an idol of ours and we worship at the feet of uh, production perfection where we're never going to reach that. And if we do, then we've substituted our true perfection, Jesus, and given a cheap substitute with production. So we're, first of all, it's not attainable. And if it is, it's becoming an idol to us. And then the second thing is our standards are much higher than God's and they shouldn't be. When he made creation, what did he call it? He called it good. When we, as his crowned achievement of creation, humanity, what did he call us? He called us very good. He didn't say they're perfect. He just said, we're very good. And so why do we put a higher standard on our work when God has a lower standard on his work? We should strive for good or maybe very good. And if not, it starts becoming an idol and it becomes consuming and it becomes frustrating because at the end of the day, there's always a mistake. And if you're focusing on the mistakes, you're not going to find the joy and the 99 things that went well instead of the one thing that went wrong. If you can't be perfect, then what what should you be going for? What Ben, what should you be trying to attain? I, I am careful here. I'm going to be cautious because sometimes we throw the E word around in evangelism, in um, evangelical circles, and the E word is excellence. So we, you know, we don't strive for perfection. We aim for excellence, but but sometimes well, aren't those the same thing? <laughs> well, they, they can be. They can be very. They become synonymous with one, one another. And mm. so even when we talk about that, you know, we're going to aim for excellence. So that, that's the way I used to do it. Um, we aim for excellence because sometimes we we think excellence means perfection. And so even even our striving to do our best is an aim, realizing that we're going to fall short. Short. And I like to focus more on the effort than the outcome. Aiming, the, the aiming is what I want to focus on. What are we aiming for, guys? Are we are we trying to bring our best? Now, if, you know, um, if you uh, if you had a thunder, and this happened like a, back to us in the, in the fall, if you had a lightning strike your building on Saturday night and, you sh- and you're not aware and you show up Sunday morning, you're going to aim for excellence as best as you can. But from a production standpoint, it's going to be a hot mess. The, the sub's blown. <laughs> everything's being reset. I could smell, you know, burning rubber in the control room. We are not getting close to excellent today. We're going to aim for it. We're going to aim for it yep. with what we have in front of us and the, the skill sets that we have and the abilities to have, the, 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 the hand that's being dealt to us. So, again, aiming, I think, is focusing in on the aim and the effort is a lot more important than the ultimate outcome. You know, you mentioned we're, we're always going to make mistakes. And I, I, I tell people this all the time. I'm like, you're going to have a mistake in every single service. What it's about is about learning from those mistakes. I I think one of the most famous quotes that I've heard, it's from Michael Jordan. 
you know, I've lost almost 300 games, 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. What he's saying in that statement is, I made mistakes, Mm -hmm. but I learned from them. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the greatest basketball players to ever walk the planet. So I think, at least in my opinion, he is. (laughs) But I think... I think that is, in my opinion, what you need to do when you make a mistake, and you're going to make those mistakes. Do you agree with that? Yes, and to get more practical, and I, th- I don't know if anyone listening would challenge that, uh, David. You know, if they are, they're probably a psychopath. You know, we all make mistakes. We, it's, it's human life. But, but I think the rubber hits the road. Is like, okay, so what do we do with it? Because I don't want those mistakes coming up in a couple of weeks here on our Christmas weekend or on our Easter weekend. So the so you have to give room for people to make those mistakes. So what does that look like? So maybe it's they're starting off um, taking photos for your social media account, uh, you know, for the youth account. Or maybe it means they're running cameras for a kids event, or they're doing something for staff, and they're building up. And that chance they they get a chance to work out the majority of their mistakes in the minor leagues. Uh, before they get to the major leagues, uh, we would used to um, one campus that I oversaw the camera team. We had eight cameras, and we purposely we purposely invested in eight. Did we need eight? No, we needed seven. We wanted seven, but we invested in eight. And we, you know, and and when I made the vision cast for this with the lead pastor, and each one cost X amount, and so I'm increasing the budget by an eighth for these cameras. And he said, why? You told me you only need seven for capture. Why do we need the eighth? Because we need a place where people can make mistakes. And we got a new green team member. We're throwing them on camera eight and they're being coached. They're being directed. We're not going to take one of their shots all service long. They can make as many mistakes as they want. And that gave us room. So again, we can talk about mistakes, but you need to be thinking through practically what does that look like in your environments? How are you giving those people those opportunities to make the mistakes? And and even beyond making mistakes, how do you as a leader ha- do an audit, a debrief, a service review where you can say, hey, you did these things well. You made this one mistake. Watch for that next time. So they are being coached on their mistakes as well and have an opportunity for it to be called out in a truthful and loving environment. So they can get better next time as well. Those things are critical. If not, you're just going to keep on making the same mistakes again and again. Yeah, that's awesome. Giving room to make mistakes. Another thing I like to do is have positions where people can see how other team members are actually doing it. So, for example, we would do like an audio assist volunteer position. They really didn't have much of a role except to watch the platform, see what's going on. But they were in the environment and they had the ability to see the audio engineer operating and working you know, at a position that brought out the pulpit and put it down, typically a younger kid that would bring out the pulpit and put it down, but they were able to stand back by monitors hmm. and the stage crew and kind of see what they were doing and how they were doing it, be in the environment, learn the people. And then they had room uh, to make mistakes because they could see mistakes that were happening and, and how that they could correct those down the road. So I think that's really, really cool advice, you know, giving room for mistakes, the eighth camera, and there's always you know, other opportunities to do that. But Ben, production directors and tech personalities, you know, because of some of that mentality of perfectionism and excellence, you know, they can end up working a lot of hours and push themselves to get the job done. So what's a key ingredient to helping techs know they're appreciated? It's simple and it's cheap 
but we as church leaders are often stingy with it. And it's praise, giving them praise, telling them you did a good job. But beyond just general praise, I always encourage church leaders to give particular praise. General, I'll, I'll give a quick story. I was going to a church in Chicago close to the theatrical district. And we had a lot of people on our drama team that were professional actors. And so our monologues and our sketches and our sp spoken words, they're phenomenal. And one time an actor did a monologue, he stepped off stage and it was great. And I saw him in the green room afterwards and I told him, I said, great job. And he said, with what? And I said, with everything? <laughs> and he said to me, 25 years ago, it still rings in my ears. He goes, for an artist, general praise means nothing. Particular praise means everything. Tell me something I did good. If not, it means that you saw me but you didn't actually watch me. You saw what happened, but you didn't actually absorb it. And that is that stung <laughs> to me. You know, he said it gracefully, but it shocked me and it still rings true to me. So for your for our leaders, give particular praise. Now here's the thing. Sometimes we think, we, we mistakenly think that we need to know all the lingua, right? And um, we, we need to be aware of everything that's happening in the world, you don't. I will tell our musicians, hey man, I, I, I don't know if it was a riff, um, or a lick, but when you did that instrumental lead, it sounded really good. And one of my instruments was like, yeah, th that's old language. <laughs> we don't call it a riff or, or a lick anymore, Ben. You're a dinosaur. But, th but thank you. I feel seen. I feel appreciated. So as a leader, you need to humble yourself. Hey, what is that called? What do you do? Or what's that effect? I don't, I don't know what it is, but it was really impactful. Thank you for using your craft so well to make that happen. Um, you know, I don't know the term a kabuki drop, but when that big curtain fell down and it revealed the drummer boy at the beginning of a Christmas, that, that was a wow moment. Thanks for putting up that big curtain for us all to experience that reveal moment. Thank you for it. So again, you don't, know, you don't need to know the language. You just need to be willing to humble yourself to give that particular praise. You know, in that example, you basically figured out how that person was wired and how they wanted to kind of hear the praise. So Talk about that a little bit. How how does figuring out how production tech is wired? How does that how does that make a difference? I mean, I heard how it made a difference in that example, but but expand on that a little bit. Sometimes, so not every artist is wired the same, and you need to kind of figure out how your artists and your production directors and your production team members are wired. One class, and and so that you can engage them appropriately. I remember one time. It was an environment and uh, we had a part-time production director and the guy worked for CNN full-time and he was doing fant fantastic and he had some extra time and he was giving the church, you know, we, were, we were paying him way below his rate for 10 extra hours um, every week for him to oversee a number of production initiatives. And he got really frustrated to me and I said, I said you know, I said, we'll figure out a way to, to bump up your pay a little bit more to compensate you. And he, again, he still rings to me. He said, Ben, he goes, I need say, not pay. I'm looking for a greater voice into the organization. I'm not looking for more money. I'm well compensated. I'm not looking for that. What I'm looking for is my words to be respected, my opinions to be valued. I'm bringing a lot to the table. I do not need any more pay. I need more say. He made it very clear how he was wired and what he needed. Another good distinction in terms of your creatives in particular and your production directors in specifically is do they need greater trust or clarity? What I mean by that is trust is, hey, I want you to do X, Y, and Z and you're released to do it and I'm not going to look over your shoulders again and again. 
um, and I'm trusting you to get this done. Some production people thrive on that, kind of get out of my space, get get out of the sound booth. <laughs> you need to trust me. When you sh when the lead pastor comes to the tech booth, that is not a trusting step for them to be there. Um, or is it clarity? So, hey, we, we're going to go um, multi-site. And, um, yeah, we're doing multi-site. Well, well, what's the what's the, the the message? Is it live preaching? Is it via video? Is it tape delay? Is it you know? Are we using Resi? How are we? I, I need clarity. I don't need trust. I need I need information. Sometimes we we tell produce production directors to do something with no clarity, just assuming they know, and then they feel like they're spinning wheels and like I don't know. I don't know how to do this. So. Those are quick, some some quick dichotomies in terms of how people are wired. But again, you need to figure that out so you can give them what they need. You talked a little bit about praise and, and how key that is. But, you know, techs take on a ton of criticism. It's too loud. It's too soft. I can't see. I can't hear. The lights are in my eyes. The fog is too thick. How should techs handle all of this criticism that's coming at them? Uh, you're, are you saying text get criticized? No, I, I have no idea. You know what? You know what the worst app that I hate was like in the iPhone came out with like the DB reader on like their, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> exactly. Yep. These that people are coming back. It's like I know OSHA tells me I can only experience 95 dBs for 25 minutes in this worship set's been going on. Da 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 da. <laughs> yeah. No, so, everybody in the audience, you miss a mic cue and like all the eyeballs. Turn back. The tech guys like. A couple of things I tell to this is great for our production directors out there. Um, thick, thick skin, soft heart. So realize, especially Sunday morning, you're going to have to have a very thick skin. I tell our production directors this as well, especially if I'm communicating from stage, if I'm hosting a service, if I'm preaching. I'll say if there's if there's a problem that goes wrong, I'm sorry, but my knee jerk reaction is to look back at you. I know you're working on it. I know sometimes it's outside of your control. I'm not trying to put you on blast, but I I just do that. And, and I'm not going to say your name and I'm going to try to redirect my attention back to the room and minimize it. But if I do that, realize it's a knee jerk response. And so, so have that thick skin. Don't take that as an affront. Don't take that as, a, as an offense. That's really helpful for them to handle criticism. Another really helpful suggestion is to have some boilerplate language in your back pocket, especially we're going to come back to the chronic issues that churches face in terms of volume, right? I've given our, our, our teams... Uh, a one sentence, you could easily remember it, why we're running, it's so hot. And then if you're if you're still struggling with that, um, I can point you in the direction of the earplugs. And they just had that in their back pocket. At one point, I actually printed it and laminated it in the tech booth. But they just knew they were going to get that one or two th times every service. And some of the guys felt like they're on the defensive. And I was like, just put this, just put this response in your back pocket. So when they come up to you, you can say this and you just have confidence. You can handle the situation really, situations really clearly. So uh, there's an attitudinal issue in terms of having that thick skin. But then there's also very, some pr very practical things with having quick language to diffuse things for repeat problems that are always going to come up like, like volume. Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't use this, uh, you know, when interacting with the congregant. Uh, but I know 10 years ago, when it comes to the sound thing, I'll give you this, Ben, you'll get a kick out of this one. 10 years ago, there was a study that was run that said 2 to 3% of Americans suffer from a hearing issue, whether uh, it be tendinitis or whatever it may be, where sound is too loud. 
And so I will go to a lot of churches and they'll say, hey, every week we get a sound complaint. And I say, oh, yeah, that's normal. And they're like, why? I'm like, well, two to three percent of Americans have issues with sound being too loud. Like they have actual problems with their ears with sounds too loud. So, you know, if you have a thousand people attending, two to three percent of them are going should be complaining. I was like, how many complaints did you get? Oh, we got two. I was like, oh. You're way below two to three percent. <laughs> You're good, and it's the same two to three people every Sunday, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. That's right. Yeah, but you know, I'm joking about that a little bit. But there are some things out there. There's some stats and data that that you can arm your um, your techs with that will help them have that thick skin but soft approach. I think is that what is that what you said? Thick skin, soft heart. Yeah, uh, soft heart. Yeah. yeah, it'll help them have a thick skin or soft heart because they kind of have some data to back up what they what they what they're doing. But at the same time, they're taking an approach of, hey, well, where were you sitting? And, and what, what did it actually sound like to you? And hey, we have some earplugs if that helps. And, you know, just those answers helps those congregants feel heard. Can I, can I p- jump in one more time on that, on that last question? Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about how to handle criticism well from the production side. Let me talk to the lead pastors listening in because you, you will have a time to play in this role as well. What I mean by that is we talked, we're going to come back to the standard issue because it's, it's well known, but it, it applies across different disciplines and different issues. But there's oftentimes one or two uh, negative Nancys or uh, detrimental Daryls in your congregation that will always complain about that every service, every Sunday. And there is nothing more disheartening to a volunteer tech who has to field that question every time and say the same response. And they say, yeah, but it's still too loud. And no, they're going to get it again next Sunday. And in those circumstances, when you have that repeat offender of someone who is criticized, I'm going to get preachy here. Give me a second. When you have someone who is repeatedly criticizing the vision of the church, and even though it's been explained to them, and even though the how it's been mapped out, how it, this isn't a preference thing, but we actually think this advances the mission of God, um, and they still choose to worship there and be a part of that community and not go to somewhere else where they like the volume, and they still criticize slash crap on it week to week to week, it is then imperative for the lead pastor to step into that conversation and saying, hey, Daryl, Hey, Nancy, I know our volunteer has told you this week after week after week. It doesn't seem like it's coming through. And so let me have a quick sit down with you because I want to explain it. So hopefully you catch the vision and stop bothering them week after week. And I'm using some probably harsh language right now. <laughs> and you would need to Preach, soften man. that as Preach. a lead pastor. But, 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 Translate it. But, but, Translate it. Go. <laughs> but the lead, the lead pastor has a responsibility. Now, Nine out of ten issues should be resolved and could can be resolved, but there's sometimes when it's not, and that is just a weight and a a, a toxicness on that team member. Yeah, when the vision is set and it keeps being challenged by particular people, at some point the lead pastor has to defend the vision mm-hmm. and has to defend the volunteer. I totally agree with that. Completely agree. Preach it, Ben. <laughs> Hey Amen. So tell me this, uh, what helps leaders of techs work with and understand me, understand the tech? So we talked earlier on about um, using praise. Um, and then also beyond, we kind of delved a little bit into this, but learning some of their language as well so that you can be conversant in it. You don't have to be the ex- expert in it, but being able to. So again, if they come back and saying, oh, you know, I, I understand how you're talking about how, how TV has a different 
quality than cinema, and it's a different look, and you're talking about you want that for our broadcast campus. Okay, I, I understand that to a degree. You've explained it to me enough, and I've I'm not, I haven't gone to film uh, films school, and I don't know film theory at large, but I understand that basic principle, and that helps me make a decision here. Um, that's really helpful because, again, you have these people who are, generally speaking, um, they are a, um, a, what is it, a, an inch wide but a mile deep. So, like, their, their skill set isn't that broad, but it is very deep. And for you to be dismissive of that as a lead pastor could be a little offensive. Again, you're, you're never going to get as deep as them in the subject. That's why you're paying them. That's why you're, or you're releasing them to serve and lead at a high capacity. It's because they do things really well. So at least when they come to the table, spend a couple of minutes learning what they have to say before you accept or worse yet reject it. Um, that that honors them and they're that that'll pave the way for a great work relationship with them. Yeah, and and I think you said it well. You you don't have to know every nuance of what's going on, but you can understand what's hard for them. You know, and the way I would put that is. Um, you know, turning your sermon notes in two minutes before the service starts <laughs> is difficult. You know, that that's hard on a technician. And when you have a conversation with them, if you dismiss them saying, Hey, I, I need a little bit earlier, you're going to, you're going to lose some of the drive that they give and some of the passion that they give you because they feel like they're, they're just not being heard. It's not being received. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I operated uh, as an executive over techs, I was over the creatives, IT, um, and, and honestly, been I, I, sometimes I felt like a middle manager. Hmm. How do I avoid my techs feeling like I'm just a middle manager and, and not a part of the team? Uh, is occasionally getting some FaceTime if you're, you know, every organization have, has different layers, layers of bureaucracy and management, so that's understandable. But if your lead pastor is very removed from your production staff, when do they get a chance to get a vision cast from them? When do they get a chance to hear from them directly in terms of where they're going? Then that, that is not going to be that is not going to be weekly, that is going to be monthly, maybe not even quarterly, maybe it's just once a year in terms of a big all team, all all volunteer team rally. But when are they getting some of that infusing infusement of vision from the lead pastor is helpful so that they feel like they're getting to hear from the top. And then also from your standpoint, if you are in the middle, then for you to have great clarity, again, great clarity and trust in what you're trying to execute. Because if not, it's a telephone game. If it's the lead pastor wants, okay, yeah, we, um, we, we want an LED wall. And they tell that to you. And then you're trying to work with your production team to execute it. But okay, okay, so how, you know, are we doing, you know, a widescreen format, 16 by 9? Um, how small um, are the pixels in terms of the screen? What kind of clarity do we want on this thing? If, you, if you're having to do that telephone game repeatedly, it can be very exhausting. So either get a lot of clarity from the lead pastor in terms of what you want or a lot of trust and then that'll release you so that it's not so much back and forth, back and forth. Or again, you, like you said, it's the curse of mid-management. Mid you just feel like, oh, I'm just, I'm trying to connect these two dots here, but they're never in the same room. At least get that information, trust or clarity, and it'll, it'll give you enough marching orders so you don't feel you're stuck in a, a rhythm of, <laughs> of mid-management hell. Yeah, I mean, I would feel that sometimes. And what, what would snap me out of is exactly what you said. Uh, sometimes a team meeting, getting face-to-face, -face, even with just the team, 
even when the lead pastor couldn't be a part of that, but just getting the team all together and talking and hearing their problems and hearing their issues and understanding what they were up against started to snap me out of that. Uh, some of the things I would do too is I was it would intentionally involve myself in the service, even if it was a very simple uh, thing. You know, I would involve myself in the service um, because I had a tech background. You know, I could do that. I mean, I think some pastors w- may not be able to interface in the same way, but I would involve myself in the service, give myself just a little job that I could do that could help uh, the tech team, even if it was just getting donuts. You know what I mean? Just something that could help them. And that helped me feel a little bit less like the middle management of just taking, you know, what's being given and, and pushing it down and just and it's, it kind of engaged me a little bit uh, more in, in the team environment and the team aspect of what was going on uh, with, with everything around me uh, and helped me avoid that uh, middle management feeling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, Ben, I'm a, I'm a church or a tech, and I need some help. I need some consulting, or I just want to bring you in to speak to the team. So, how, how, do, they, how do they get in touch with you? Great question. Uh, we've given you a lot of information. If you're like, I, we need some more of that, Ben, go to benstapley.com slash coach. I would love to give you a three, uh, free 30-minute consultation to hear your problem, to tell you if I'm the person to help you solve it, or if I'm not, to point you in the direction of other people who can help you solve it. Uh, some churches are big enough that they're able to handle this, but some churches are like, you know what, we need some expert, uh, we need some outside expertise on this one or two issues that'll help us take the next ground. I'd love to come alongside churches in that environment if they find that to be beneficial. Yeah, I've heard Ben speak at at several conferences. Uh, He is very helpful. He understands techs all the way up to the pastoral role. So if you wanna get that free coaching, Go to binstapley.com slash coach. Is that correct? Yeah. Ben, thanks for coming on the Tech Arts Podcast and sharing these amazing insights. David, it was great to be here second time. Looking forward to a third time. Well, that wraps things up for today's episode. I can't wait to talk to you on the next Tech Arts Podcast. Until then, I'm David Leuschner signing off by wishing you a great day and praying God blesses every moment of your week. See you soon. You have been listening to the Tech Arts Podcast. Presented by Digital Great Commission Ministries. DGCM is a 501c3 nonprofit that was started to help churches with all things technical. Whether you need help building a team, finding the right gear, or just a better understanding of the church tech world, DGCM is here for you. Find out more about our free on-site visits, reports, and consulting by going to audiovideolighting.com. Digital Great Commission Ministries will help you run your church service like a pro. Find out more at audiovideolighting.com.